Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. All right, it's Thursday morning, boss man. I'm paying you hourly for this one. You're doing some contract work for the podcast <laughs> here today. And as we'll get into, that is not the message of this podcast, not selling your time for money, but building cash, generating assets. That is the path that we believe is the most effective over a decade of doing this now. Of course, a little bit of selection bias, I suppose. But if you look at all the paths out there to personal and financial freedom, and we're going to talk about one competing one, which I think it's fair to say, although they have a lot in common, the financial independence retire early community. Fire. Fire. Wow. I mean, are we going to talk about that or are we going to talk about something else today? Because I could talk about that all day. I just got to your house. I mean, we're sitting here at, at the boss man's beautiful property. You have incendiary business opinions uh-huh. developed over a long cold winter i'm yes. assuming <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i haven't left the property in days <laughs> i'm so glad you stopped by <laughs> all right well we have an incendiary and canoical thinker on today's podcast and me and you the boss man we're going to be the hype men the assist guys coming in from time to time to add some context to the interview and also share our own thoughts the backstory of today's app was I was thinking of books that we could do a readables on. And one of my all time favorite entrepreneurship books is called the millionaire fast lane. And I reread it and I thought, man, this is, this is still good. This aged well. And it occurred to us that maybe the author of the book, MJ DeMarco would be willing to come on the show and share his perspective on the book after all this time, as well as, you know, his ideas in general. And he said, Yes, which is amazing. So we're going to play that interview here today, Ian. So some background on this wonderful book, Ian, The Millionaire Fastlane by MJ DeMarco, which is based on MJ's experience of not only building and selling an early internet business, which was based in the limo industry, actually, but also talking with and analyzing others who have stepped off what he calls the slow lane and the sidewalk and joined the fast lane, which is essentially the TMBA is a fast lane podcast. We represent the vein of fast lane thinking. And we're going to get into that more detail in the interview today because MJ has some interesting views about the FIRE community. Again, financial independence, retire early movement. I tried FIRE back in 1999 when I sold my first company and I said, oh my, I can retire now. And the stock market was going up, and da, 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 and then it crashed. And then everything went to shit, including pretty much half of my net worth. MJ also has a Fastlane forum, which I know many listeners have checked out. But for anyone who hasn't read the original book or needs a reminder, here's a too-long-didn't-read summary. How long has it been since you read The Millionaire Fastlane? It feels like 10 years plus. Yeah. Yeah. I asked him about its sort of canoical connection to the four-hour work week because it was a natural follow published four years later. And it has this a very similar message, but it took a completely different approach, one that resonated with different sorts of people. And, and, and in my case, the same people. I checked out this book, uh, this website called 4minutebooks.com. And here's the three key points that they took away from the Millionaire fast lane. Number one, wealth stands for three things, none of which is money. So meaningful relationships, being healthy and fit and freedom. Okay. So thinking from those first principles of what wealth is all about rather than why are we just getting money? Lesson number two, your income eventually can't depend on your time anymore, which is why I assume this is the last podcast yep. you'll do on a contract basis. <laughs> um, lesson number three, start producing, stop consuming. Such a simple little idea, but I remember consuming this book and thinking, man, I'm consuming a lot more than I'm making right now. (laughs) If you ask yourself, what does the millionaire fast lane whisper? Because there's things that the book says explicitly. It says, look, the slow lane is basically like working and being in debt. The sidewalk is 
working, saving, and you know, putting your money in mutual funds and stocks and stuff that over 20 years are going to mature and maybe you'll retire and then count your beans every night or whatever. The fast lane, and this is essentially what the book says, is a real possibility for you to build a small business and to make wealth in the matter of a few short years. You know, one of the things MJ says I think is really cool is he says, get rich quick is possible. It's just hard. For me, I walked away from this book with a sense of hope and belief that I had found my sort of idea tribe, this idea that, yeah, you can get wealthy in in just a few short years. And in fact, in today's interview, I asked MJ how many years he thinks it takes. And you know what he did? He gave me a straight answer, which was super cool. We did this, Dan. We lived this. We started a business when we were 26, got out when we were roughly in our early 30s. And it was certainly not a forever retire business, but it was like a, yeah, retire for a while business. I actually feel like I'm in the middle lane, you know, like I'm thoughtfully putting on my turn signals to go around (laughs) traffic, but mostly staying in right lane, but on the highway. That's where I'm at. Okay, so we did a quick uh, summary of the book and why we're obviously passionate about these topics. Let's bring in today's guest, get some of his thoughts, and we'll buzz back in from time to time. So let's get to it. I started out by asking MJ what he feels is the biggest legacy of the book, which he wrote a decade ago now. The book sells better now today than it did when it was first released. It was released, I believe, in 2010, I think it was. So that's that's 10 years ago. And the book still it actually sells better now today. And that's because anything that I write, I make sure it's transcendent. Meaning if you read it today, it's just as relevant as it was 10 years ago. I don't like writing about specific, oh, the strategy is awesome strategy. Because you know what? In a year from now, that strategy is not going to work. I was reading a book the other day. I'm not going to name names, but it was talking about how I grew my startup, you know, and it was this big company and the techniques that they mentioned are irrelevant today. So for me, I wanted to make sure that anything I write can be replicatable, that can be uh, duplicated in today's environment. And that's why it's a lot of it's focused on mathematics because the mathematics of wealth rarely change. It's just with the internet, those mathematics are profoundly more accessible to the average person. So that's why the Millionaire Fastlane has transcended over the years. And some of the stories are older, obviously, because it was written so long ago, but it was recently updated to account for that. But basically, it should it should last through the years. One of the short-term legacies for me was it did come out three years after the four-hour work week. And four-hour work week sort of shows like this nuts and bolts approach to growing these small businesses. And then your book came out and it almost felt like it's more at like a 40,000 foot view. The four-hour work week was kind of like one path into a fast lane sort of lifestyle, whereas now you're laying out the religion, so to speak. Did you ever see that connection between the two books? Oh, absolutely. The, the the theme of the two books are essentially the same, and that is your time is what's most valuable in your life. You're not really free if you're dependent on Wall Street. I mean, if you say, hey, I retired early, but you're dependent on the stock market being up 5%, 10% every single year, well, that's not independence, that's dependence. And the same goes true with, you know, maybe a small business or something that, you know, just pays the bills and gets you by. There's a certain dependence there. So I wanted to show people that there's a way you can attract wealth in a very short period of time if you just tap into the right opportunities with the right mathematics. Uh, but basically, both the books have the same the same objective, and that's to free yourself. That's to you know have a more independent life of happiness and whatnot. So kind of two different routes, so to speak, to a very similar destination. I think we need to do some homework before we broaden the conversation. And I think it's worth laying out those fundamental concepts that I think it's fair to say a lot of your publishing career is based on, which is the fast lane, the slow lane, and the sidewalk. Basically, in both my books, The Millionaire Fast Lane and Unscripted, I talk about three different roads, three different lanes for living your life. 
that are particularly pegged to wealth. And the sidewalk is pretty much most of culture, most of society. The sidewalk is paycheck to paycheck. The sidewalk is whatever you earn is what you spend. Most sidewalkers have a lot of debt. They have negative net worth. And um, it doesn't really matter how much income they earn. I mean, sidewalkers can be athletes that are making millions. They could be doctors. They can be lawyers. They could be cashiers. They just spend what they earn. That's the sidewalk. And then the sidewalk, the slow lane, excuse me, is the mainstream media narrative that a sidewalker is supposed to wisen up and graduate to. So they become, oh, you need to save 10% of your paycheck. You need to stop drinking Starbucks. You need to put all that money into the index fund, give it to Wall Street. And then you know what? If you're patient and you live this frugal existence for 20, 30, 40 years, then guess what? Finally, you're going to get rich. So as I like to say, it's two doors, but it's the same slaughterhouse. It's two sides of the same rat race. One's a rat race for consumption, which is a sidewalk, and the other's a rat race for a Wall Street wage slave. Neither one of them lead to freedom, or if one of them does lead to freedom, it's going to be in the twilight of your life. And then the fast lane, of course, which is based on entrepreneurship, basically fast lane entrepreneurship, which taps into a specific framework, what I call the sense framework, which encompasses control, entry, need, time, and scale. And uh, of course, within that framework, there's specific mathematics that you need to tap into in order to make that happen. Fast lane entrepreneurs have the power to, pardon the expression, to get rich quick, but not get rich easy. There's a distinction there. All right, boss, man, I want to buzz back in here to go over the the sense framework, which share a lot of principles with what we believe in here in TMBA land. Number one is control. Again, the sense framework is is one that you use to analyze business ideas. And here's why I think this is important. It comes up in this program is so often people like they see the light of the fast lane of location, independent entrepreneurship or whatever. And then they're like, you know, my uncle's part of this thing, this MLM thing. And you know what I mean? They, they decide that they're going to get a second mortgage and buy an old apartment. And you know what I mean? They, they, they take the business idea that's like most immediately ready at hand mm-hmm. rather than really analyzing what their goals are and designing something that ultimately will meet them. And that's what the sense framework is all about. Well, I think before you tell people what the sense framework is all about, yeah. it would be easy too to take whatever business idea you have and make it work into the sense program here. So it is like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that one. Uh-huh. Right. Uh-huh. That let's, one. Let's do it with the, your, your amazing new opportunity uh, yeah. that you want to share with me. Does it offer you control, which is the C by the way, this is sense C E N T S. So the C is for control. And I think control is like relatively uh, self-explanatory. The E is for entry. MJ is making a point that there has to be a barrier to entry. So if you can just sort of shake hands with your uncle and get signed up for the the MLM or whatever, that's not enough barrier to entry. The third is need. MJ is a big fan of this like follow your passion stuff is, is bullshit. Basically. Everybody needs makeup. No. <laughs> the next, uh, the T is time. Does the product count on your time input? I have all these consultants working for me that sign up under me. It doesn't take any of my time. <laughs> I just have to sign consultants up. You're, you're a, a world-class rationalizer, boss man. And the finally S is scale. Instagram. That's how I'm going <laughs> to scale my new line of cosmetics. <laughs> I think it's fair to say, Ian, that your new business opportunity makes a lot of sense. <laughs> it fits. You said specific mathematics that matter. What are some of those mathematics that are important to growing a fast lane business? Well, whatever you're selling, it must be replicatable, meaning it has to be sellable to the masses. So like the example I use in the book, I believe is if you're selling hot dogs outside a hot, in a hot dog cart outside of Home Depot, you're limited by the mathematics in that business because it's a function of foot traffic. So these are operations that handicap you for creating wealth. For a fast lane business, you need to have the mathematics work for you. 
I own a publishing company, which means I can publish thousands, if not millions of books without much effort. Same with a software service or, or an invention. A buddy of mine owns a cologne business and he can you know, produce millions of bottles of cologne on demand. So you have to have these replicatable aspects to your business that can reach thousands and millions. And with the advent of the internet, this has become profoundly accessible to the average Joe. It's, that's why the internet is making you know, millionaires and billionaires and whatnot, simply because it gives us access to mathematics. You probably meet more fast laners than almost anybody. And there's a whole category of fast laners I'm hoping you recognize and could share some insights into, which is there's sort of like these whole category of businesses that don't fit fast lane mathematics, but sort of fit the, the philosophy. So you hear a lot of people say, oh, I read these books, you know, Think and Grow Rich, and I read Millionaire Fast Lane and all this stuff. And so I'm getting into flipping houses, or I'm going to do MLM, or I started a consulting business. There's these category of businesses that are like gray area stepping off points, like they're very legible. It's almost like getting into the stock market, you know? Sure. Yeah. And this and the thing is, the sense framework is the optimum business structure. There's businesses that don't meet the entire sense framework that are still doing well. So it's not an absolute concept. Nothing usually is. But I tend to deal in probabilities. So I say, if you want the probability of having a business that's going to impact your life in a meaningful way, the sense framework is something you should follow. Now, obviously, you know, you can start a business on Amazon and violate the C in sense, which is control, meaning your entire income comes from Amazon, which means somebody, some, you know, low level wage employee on the other side of the planet who barely speaks English could cut your business off in a matter of pressing a button. Yeah. So that's control. But obviously you can violate control. Hey, I'm making, you know, Amazon sent me a check for $200,000 last month and you're still doing well. So yeah, there's definitely gray areas. But the thing is, you're playing Russian roulette in that manner. Just, it's just the same as, hey, I, I invented a product and Walmart is my only customer. Well, guess what? If someone at Walmart has a bad day and they want to cancel your product, then you're out of business. So the sense framework is not an absolute thing. Uh, it's more of a structure, a guideline. I have a lot of people on my forum who are following three or four commandments and they're using it as a guideline. Like they know, like, oh my God, you know, I'm spending a lot of time here. I have to fix this. So they use it as kind of a roadmap, kind of a guideline. What are the snares that you see people who are get on board with the, the concept of the fast lane, but have difficulty executing? Expectations. I think that's the most common thing. They'll try to start a business and they'll fail. And then they'll just say, well, that doesn't work. And then they, then they go back to their job. And they don't understand that very few people get it right on their first crack. It's like baseball. You just don't step up there. And on your first swing, you get a hit. I had five business failures before I you know, actually got traction in something. We're not entrepreneurs, we're scientists. And as scientists, we're just inundated with problem after problem after problem. You know, first your business itself is a problem, it's solving a problem. And then within that business, the problems are daily. You know, how do I improve the landing page? How do I get people from, you know, leaving the cart? How do I improve my optimization? How do I get a better product? How do I get a better ingredient? How do I reduce the cost of shipping? I mean, the problems never end. So we're scientists, we're problems. We have to be, you know, apply the scientific method. Act, assess, adjust. Act, assess, adjust. So when they don't have those expectations, they think it's just as fun and games. They try and they quit. That makes sense. I mean, it's almost like to sustain a life of entrepreneurship, you know, you have that baseline of stepping up to the plate and knowing that you're going to fail. You kind of have to accept the idea that you might just fail forever and that that being at the plate is worth it in and of itself. Absolutely. There's so many variables involved that, you know, even if I started a business, a different business, you know, tomorrow, I would be at the same disadvantage as anybody else because 
everything is constantly changing. The problems, the dynamics, technology, cultural tastes, everything is changing. So you have to, you know, adjust. I say act, assess, adjust. You have to act, assess, adjust those variables all the time and it never goes away. I'm curious if you have any counterintuitive or maybe surprising insights from recently having been at the very end of your funnel. So you've got tens of thousands of hopefuls reading your book. Then you've got thousands of active users on your forum talking about the ideas. And then at the end of the day, you've got the people that showed up. What is it about those people that's unique that allowed them to make it work? Well, a common pattern I saw was not giving up when the difficulty hit. In fact, I saw every single one of them. One guy started a um, bike company, and his first shipment from overseas came poorly. It was uh, missing some nuts or something. And I mean, this stuff was coming from, you know, I think China or Vietnam or something. Well, he fought through that and solved it. This story was common. Everyone had the problem. I mean, my, my book itself, The Millionaire Fastlane, its cover was a horrendous, ugly, orange and green cover. And I had readers telling me, eh, that cover is nasty. I adjusted it. I changed the cover and, you know, and then the rest is history. So these troubles are going to come. And the question is, are you ready for them or are you just going to ignore them and then just quit? If you're anxious about your business finances, a lot of us are. If you don't have confidence in your numbers and you're not sure if you're headed in the right direction, if things are going up or down, well, today's sponsor has an offer for you. Bean Ninjas is an online bookkeeping and financial education company that's been helping entrepreneurs achieve freedom through stress-free finances for almost five years. They were recently awarded Zero Bookkeeping Partner of the Year in 2019. Founder and CEO Merrill Johnson is a member of our community, the DC, and has been on this podcast several times. The Bean Ninjas are legit. They really understand the issues unique to running online businesses like we talk about here at the TMBA. Now, Bean Ninjas is offering to train you on how to effectively use Zero to manage your finances with their How to Do Your Bookkeeping in Zero online course. This course is basically a five-week mentorship where you can work closely with a financial coach and a small group of like-minded entrepreneurs. There's also a DIY option available. So here's their offer. Head on over to BeanNinjas.com slash TMBA to sign up and get 25% off the coupon code provided. This five-week mentorship program is usually $3.99, but today, by using that special link from the TMBA, it's available for $2.99. If you're someone who gets overwhelmed with not knowing what's going on money-wise with your business, be sure to head on over to BeanNinjas.com slash TMBA. So Ian, typically we'll do categories on these rereadables. One is half-assed internet research, and I like to point out this book does have uh, 646 written reviews and 8,300 ratings on Goodreads. It's clear to say it's a classic. It's all-time, all-time bait-and-switch, get-rich-quick scheme cover, and you open up, has substance on the inside. <laughs> I'd like to consider that we're part of this, too. For so long, our, like everything about what we do looks so, like so much ass yeah. that when people listen to the podcast and it doesn't sound exactly as much ass people are like oh, it's, 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 it's a it's a it's, know, it's not, not it's bad. it's part of the sense program you have to have a barrier to entry <laughs> if it looks legit yeah. you know what i mean then too many people are going to sign up i'm serious i think yeah. it's a, i think it's a great barrier to entry and for for mj and i know that he's like uh trying to scrub the internet potentially of this but it's the lamborghinis <laughs> for me anytime i see the like the lamborghini i'm like especially as like a car guy i'm like that's like the anti-car guy's car i didn't ask mj about all the branding stuff not to say that he doesn't care, but that's the reason that it was maybe like that in the beginning. Because you know, if you're a real internet marketer guy, you know that like, okay, I got to rent a Lamborghini on Friday. <laughs> I got I got to make sure I return it by Saturday afternoon so I don't get yeah. charged for two. I'm gonna days. borrow my uncle's Rolex watch, yep. and I'm gonna you know get my Instagram cousin to, to show up and take some glamour shots of me so that I can run these YouTube ads or run these Facebook ads. And I think for MJ, he just came in. He wasn't part of this whole community. He was doing what he did and loved Lamborghinis genuinely. And when you read the book, 
MJ has like walked the walk for the past decade. He's backed this up by being in his forum almost every day, talking to his readers, his fans. You know, he has been engaged in this community, and I think he's walked the walk and shown the whole community that this is a guy who means what he says and says what he means, and he's legit. And that's what's so cool about the millionaire fast lane is that like you kind of go in thinking, oh sure, I'll take five minutes to figure out if a book promising millions is going to work, and then you realize like. This is a, a solid effort at trying to decode this, this path of, of wealth. Do you think building sense-style businesses is a young person's game? Absolutely not. But it does get harder as you get older, and your routines get more ingrained and as you stack responsibility. The more responsibility you have, the harder it is, simply because responsibility allows you not to take as many risks. It takes up more money. So the odds definitely go down. I like to think of terms of probability all the time and uh, not luck, probability. You know, one of the patterns I've realized is that when people start a sense style business, it typically takes them three years of full-time effort to replace their income that they were making professionally. That's after like paying employees and everything. So if you're making a hundred grand, now all of a sudden three years into it, you're pulling a hundred grand from the business. Another pattern connected is that if you were like, hey man, like what's the average year that people become wealthy off of a sense style business? So they, they read the book, they find a way to quit their job or to like make that work, and then they focus full time. What would you guess would be like an expectation worth having, in other words? Like, I'm gonna become wealthy off of this business in how many years? Three to five years. Three to five? Yep. Okay. And obviously that depends on the type of failures that are seen at the beginning of the of the process. I mean, you can go three months and then say, okay, well, this is not going to work. And then you pivot to some other right. business or something. But I would say three to five years, three to six years, depending on, you know, the product. Uh, the product has to have what I call, uh, what I call a productocracy, meaning uh, one plus one equals three. What do you mean by one plus one equals three? That's actually a concept in my new book. It's called the productocracy. It's Something that compels uh, users to share your product, they recommend it. It's good enough that it's shareable. So if you see people on Facebook or Twitter raving about your product or your service, that's a sign of a productocracy. One of the things that really kind of pisses me off, even though I kind of agree with them, is the financial independence retire early movement. Like, I feel like it's like so close, but no cigar. So what's your critique on the fire movement? Oh, boy. We want to go here? Um, <laughs> I actually did a video. My last YouTube video I did actually discusses this. Here's the thing. The fire movement is a product of a 10-year, 12-year bull market. So when the market corrects, and God forbid we go into a recession, that's all going to disappear. Trust me. You want to know why? Because I tried fire back in 1999 when I sold my first company. And I said, oh my, I can retire now. And at the time, you know, the tech stocks, you know, this was pre-internet boom. And I was like, oh, I can retire now. And the stock market was going up and da, da, da. And then it crashed. And then everything went to shit, including pretty much half of my net worth. So three quarters of it disappeared. And uh, of course, I couldn't sit there and wait it out because I needed that money to survive. So they always say, oh, well, the markets recover. Yeah, well, if you can't survive the initial downturn and the corresponding several years that follow, it doesn't matter. What did it feel like? to see that happen. I mean, what can you take us to that moment? Oh, it's of... absolutely frustrating. It was so exciting to feel like you were free. And then all of a sudden, you see, you know, just thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars just disappearing and then having to sell, knowing, oh my God, you just sold your business. And most of it is disappearing because of this, this huge crash. You know, at the time, the late 90s, this is, I don't know if a lot of people, your listeners are familiar with that era, but it was just, it's almost crazy like it is now. So yeah, it's not a good feeling. And the thing is, I had someone tell me, oh, you just, you should have waited, waited it out because it recovers. Well, you can't wait it out. 
if you have bills to pay, if you have a mortgage to pay, yeah. or you have a family to feed, you can't wait it out. Right. I mean, even even in the best case scenario, the, these fire projections require you you need cash flow every yes. year, like forty grand. If you have a family, forty grand is the minimum. Exactly. So, what I say is, they are in the right neighborhood, but they're at the wrong house. You're trading one financial dependence for another. Well, I'm not dependent on a job anymore. Yay! Well, now you're dependent on index funds. What's the difference? It's the same thing. I invest in the markets. It's a part of my income stream. But here's the thing. The market could crash 50% tomorrow. You know what? My life's not changing a damn bit. But everyone that's, that follows this fire crap, they're going to find their lives upended. They're going to have to find another job. They're going to have to write more blogs because I know a lot of them, that's their living now is writing blogs, which is, I'm fully on board with that because it's, that's a kind of a sign of a retirement. So yeah, I think it's a, um, what's the phrase I'm looking for? The uh, chickens coming to roost or something. Yeah. Well, and it also reminds me of like these lemmings like chasing each other because this idea that I love like they're in the right neighborhood, which is reduce your expenses. Absolutely. Yes. Like earn back some of your time, like thoughtfully invest some of your money, all that. But this idea that you're going to string together a high earning career for 15 years straight, like this is a very fragile idea. Like your industry is still going to exist. You're still going to make 130 grand. By the way, that's not going to be stressful to maintain all that. So my critique was always like, guys, like you got everything. You got the first three steps right. The fourth step is to apply your time intelligently as an entrepreneur, right? Like buy assets. And of course, the best fire people are doing this. Here's the fact of the matter. It is so outlier and so heavily dependent on a survivor bias. It's just ridiculous. And this stuff gets mainstream news. Of course, we we suffered the same thing, you know, entrepreneurs that are, you know, making money hand over fist that are retiring early. That's, you know, we suffer from the survivor bias as well. But we don't get mainstream he headlines. We're not on the front page of Market Watch about, you know, how some physical therapist, oh, I retired early because I saved every dime and I never ate out and I never went on vacation. I never did this. And I never did that. Look at me. It infuriates me a lot. <laughs> It does feel like there's this mental separation, even when you hear the talk in the US about the 1% that somehow entrepreneurs, you are those people. It, it does feel like there's this big emotional divide between people who've taken full control over their financial destiny and those who haven't. Why is that? Because one is politically expedient, the other isn't. One of them serves the rat race, the other one doesn't. Authority wants you to either A, give all your money to consumer goods, or B, give all your money to Wall Street. Which one of them does that support? Now you have like many, many years to look back. What has been like the rhetorical device or the emotional appeal or the mathematics that have ultimately converted the most number of people into the fast lane? I think it's the mathematical analysis of the various lanes. I don't know what chapter it's in, but in the millionaire fast lane, uh, I show the math. I say, this is why you're not wealthy. Because you're dependent on numbers that are not scalable, that cannot be leveraged, and cannot be controlled. So when you move to a system that has leverage in it, all of a sudden you have control of your financial life. You, you can't work 200 hours in a week. You can't do it. You can't make the stock market return 2,000% in one year. You can't do it. Those numbers are not scalable, and you cannot control them. You can't argue math. So here's where I think the, the trouble comes in and, and why when you start digging into financial freedom books and stuff, I get bugged so much about why I'm not buying condos and renting them out. It's because I've looked at the numbers. But if you read the books that talk about financial freedom, it's all about investing, it's all about Wall Street, it's all about real estate or MLMs or whatever, partially because you can write clearly about this stuff. So in the case of the fast lane and a lot of the premier example businesses, including your original business, it's not clear. It's harder to say how to do it. So how does one proceed into the fast lane intelligently? It goes back to what we discussed earlier, is you just keep putting stuff out to the market, engaging their reaction. Because 
that's what the market is. It's a contemptible child, so to speak, you know, that, <laughs> that, that is, you know, crying and screaming. Well, what that child needs is an adult who's going to give it what it wants, you know, a bottle, uh, pick it up, you know, rock a baby it or whatever. What that baby does not need is another whiny baby. When you're approaching, this is why I absolutely hate the statement, follow your passion, because it's ultimate bullshit. It's not market-centered. It's self-centered. As long as you're attacking the market based on what it wants with value skew, you will ultimately find your way into this business and into success, assuming that you're doing it with a, a mathematical concept that works or a mathematical structure. Well, and maybe that's the trouble is so much of what drives us to the fast lane is ego-based. Like, I want, I want, I want. And then you're saying, like, well, that's going to fuck you up when you decide that all of a sudden it's about serving other people, essentially, creating value. Absolutely. And that's where a lot of, a lot of quote, fast laners fail. Is they're not really fast laners because if they're egocentric, if they're ego-driven, hey, I want to be my own boss. Hey, I want to get rich. Hey, I want to live, on, you know, live in Thailand. Those are great motivations. That's, that founds your purpose, your why. That's great. But ultimately, you have to attack the market with what it wants. Just because you're following passion, guess what? No one gives a shit. Unless that passion is doing something with a value skew and it, that attracts money. Now, unfortunately, most people who are following passion are in a cattle call, meaning everyone else is following their passion. How many people want right. to make millions doing fitness? Well, millions, which means you are an ant on an ant hill, which is why you have to attack the market very systematically with skew, value skew. A buyer looks at the competitive option and says, yeah, I'm going to buy from that guy because he has X or he has Y or he has a better ingredient or he has a better label or his advertisement is better. That's skew. That's how you pull money into your life. One of the questions we asked in this rereadable series is what has aged the best or what has aged the worst? And is there anything that jumps out to you about the millionaire fast lane that has really endured that maybe wasn't planned for when you wrote it? The math, obviously, because that endures. Another thing was a lot of people commented on consumer versus producer, where I mentioned that you have to be a producer. Team consumer is for the losers. So 99% of the world is on team consumer, hence the 99%. The 1% is on team producer. I got a ton of comments on that, that... Um, you know, actually, I didn't think it would, you know, resonate as much, but it did. It's so funny you point to that. It is a subchapter title, and I have brought it up on this podcast handfuls of times because it's, it's such a simple rule of thumb. The systems that I own, are they producing more than I consume? Yes. It's just so simple, and all of us, it was such a, an enormous concept for me. Yes. It really stood out in the book. One more set of questions I wanted to ask you about because you have a unique experience. I've been calling it the middle game of business, which is those maybe three to 10 years. The first three years might be sort of the opening game. And that's where a lot of focus online is. Like, how do you get started? What are interesting market strategies, et cetera? But a lot of what our audience struggles with is the middle game. You know, like, how much time do you spend on a business once it's already making you good money? Like, should I sell this business? Um, you know, how do I stay focused? How do I hire people? What are some of the middle game challenges you're seeing amongst your members that might be counterintuitive to people that are in those first three years? Like, what's coming down the pike for them? Well, I think you have to have a grasp on what you want. Are you building an enterprise or are you building a lifestyle business? That's, that's a very important distinction. If you're building a lifestyle business, you're probably going to avoid employees. You're not going to grow, you know, meteorically because you're, you know, you're on the beach or you're, you know, I have passive income. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because the forum has a mix of both. So the ultimate thing you have to first determine is what do you want as an individual? And like for me personally, I sold my business because it was no more fun. It was no longer fun. It wasn't challenging me. And um, the challenges that I saw ahead actually did not 
excite me at all. They actually gave me anxiety, and I was like, I don't want to deal with that. And I knew, you know, at the time what it was worth. So I was like, okay, this this could change my life and set me, you know, turn a different page in my life. So I'm, that's where I'm going to go. So you have to be willing to really think, you know, about how you want to architect your life. And, you know, obviously you want to be the next Elon Musk or, you know, Bill Gates or something. You have to use that as your guide to determine, you know, what you should be doing and not be doing. Speaking of which, 80% of our audience own small businesses on the internet. So the last question is the hardest one, MJ, which is, do you have any parting shots for them or words of advice or encouragement, something you'd like to leave them with? When the going gets tough, do not quit. If you're quitting, you're not quitting entrepreneurship. You're quitting the business. You're pivoting into a different opportunity. You're doing something because the rewards, I'm telling you, the rewards of entrepreneurship are just incredible. I mean, you, you write your own paycheck. You write your own story. The ability to go to a movie theater on a Tuesday afternoon. That's wealth. <laughs> yes. That's wealth right yes, there that, to me. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. If, and for me, it was having never to get up to an alarm clock. I mean, that's that, there's not a price you can put on that. And obviously, it depends on the person, what's important to them. But entrepreneurship is the top career, the best career you could ever have that could change your life. So when it gets tough, and it will, do not quit. MJ, thank you so much for spending your time with us and coming by the TMBA pod. Sure. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate the invite. Big ups to MJ DeMarco. Now's our chance. It's the end of the episode. The tape is free. Y'all can switch it off and come back next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. But I know you maybe wanted to sh share some reflections, thinking about the millionaire fast lane 10 years in. Think about some of the things MJ said today. Yeah. Anytime I get to talk about fire, I get excited. So <laughs> Financial independence, retire early. Yeah. yeah, you guys touched on this in the interview. And I think like in so many different ways, and we've talked about this before, like we're so closely related, but we're so distant on a lot of these ideas. We started from the same embryo. And mm -hmm. let me tell you what that embryo is. One time we did a, a spoken essay on this podcast. We'll link up to that. It was a whole rant against the FIRE community. And the rant essentially starts at this embryo, which is that we share. And it's these three steps to gaining financial freedom. They are radically reduce your spending, step number one. Step number two, become debt-free. So it's not just enough to stop spending. You got to pay off your debts, especially debts that are charging you interest, right? So aggressively pay down those loans. Get Don't take loans. Get out of them. Get out of debt. Ideally, pay off that mortgage. And this is back to Dave Ramsey, the top fire guys, Dave Ramsey. And, and he says, here's his catchphrase. It's a great radio catchphrase. The paid off home mortgage is the new BMW, something like that. The new status symbol. Is that the new you... status symbol is, is, uh, is the paid off mortgage, not the BMW. Got it. Okay. And then step number three, save as much as you can and invest those savings safely and wisely, right? You know, maybe get some mutual funds, maybe, you know, diversify a portfolio with whatever you feel comfortable, blah, blah, blah. Ah, I feel so cozy now. We're all cozy because we are on the path, my friend, to financial independence Gosh. and retiring early. It's like a fireplace and a nice warm blanket okay. on my So here's couch. the bottom line. Here's what, why things get annoying. Because at this point, most of the fire people say, well, okay, obviously like, you know, just saving a bunch of money and making some investment, like that's not really... The answer, like that's not how you retire early. So there's the step four. What's the what's the step four? I go to all these blogs and these. I look for step number four, boss man. And by the way, there's a little sneaky step four happening when you click around on their website. Sometimes you're contributing to their step four. <laughs> now, step four. I mean, step four is what happens when you have some savings, when you have some time, and you're thinking to yourself, "How do I retire? How do?" How does the retirement bit come? And the best answer that I can find is somewhere between 
I don't know. You kind of like put your money on mutual funds. That's the one answer. Mm-hmm. Kind of put your money in mutual funds. I, I don't yeah. know. A lot of I don't know. The market has never gone down. It's a lot. I mean, it's it only goes up. There's I enough- mean, housing prices they only go up. Here's here's one you hear a lot on fire blogs. It's sort of like, well, I wouldn't feel comfortable talking about step number four. I mean, it's very complicated. Step number four is for, yeah, no shit, dude. Telling people to save money. Reuse your dental floss. This guy over here is, is a regular genius. He thinks to get financial independence, you should probably save some money. Okay, that's good. Thanks a lot, buddy. Yeah, step number four. It's, it's a big question mark. Now, some people in the financial independent retire early phase say step number four is an investment strategy. This is why the other people said, I don't want to tell you what to do because the investment strategy you know, can be really risky if you who knows what's going to happen if you're telling people to invest money over the course of decades a certain way? It might go well, it might not. But the bottom line is that it's a very long-term, potentially fragile strategy. And the answer on this podcast, the answer in the Millionaire Fast Lane, we have a resolute answer to step number four. That answer is to start a small cash-generating asset, to use your time, to use your savings, to build the skill set of entrepreneurship. That is entrepreneurship. I have a theory as to why they don't talk about it. I'm telling you they're cagey about it. They'll, they'll say things like, well, anything that gets in the way of one, two, and three for them, a lot of times, they'll discount. Like, oh, I write this blog, but I didn't need to do this blog. Like, they should own it. Like, writing a blog with affiliate links about this shit is the smartest possible mm-hmm. thing you could do. That's a business. What would you rather have? Like, we did this math and before the exit, the book, which is like, would you rather have a million dollars teetering in some mutual funds trying to give you that 4% return every year so you can scrape by on 40 grand a year mm-hmm. and heaven forbid the family gets on an airplane? Or by the way, we've been in a bull market for 10 plus years. Let's talk about when it's not. Or would you rather have a website that has affiliate links to credit cards that makes you and your family 25,000 bucks a month? You can do the math on it. The math I'm trying to do, which I'm not going to do right now, is the math of that big nut in your bank account versus a cash flow generating asset. It's not the same, right? One's flexible. One you control. You don't control what the S&P 500 does. That's not up to you. I want to clarify a couple of things. We came to this conversation thinking I was the one that was pumped up about the fire yeah. community. Turns out you're the most pumped up about this argument. I'll tell you, they're disincentivized to talk about the most important step, which is step number four. This podcast right here is step number four. Come over here. We're going to talk about it. We're not scared of step number four. Oh, I, I didn't get to tell my theory. The reason, I'll tell you why. Not only do they fear that talking about entrepreneurship will contradict their message, I think they have a bigger fear, which is they, they think it'll turn people off. And I think it does. I think most people see the fast lane, they hear about entrepreneurship and they say, that's not for me. Why? Because of a old piece of investment advice, a classic investment mistake, which is sunk cost fallacy. The vast majority of the audience will not choose entrepreneurship. And you see it happen all the time very subtly, which is the number one of the, I think one of the most popular critiques fire bloggers get is that they're making money off of their blog, which is insane because they should be making money off their blog. Like they should be doing that. Everybody that achieves, like the idea that you worked for 10 years or less and you retired by not owning a small business, that is so remarkable that you should start a blog or a podcast about it and make money off of affiliate links. And the idea that they're getting critiqued on this very point shows that the theory is lacking this fundamental step four, which is a reliable way to generate income without using your time. If you're using your time to create income, that's not retirement. I just wanna clarify a couple things. You've got some stocks, Dan. You've got some Bitcoin. I've got some land. We are doing the things that the- My Bitcoin is just really doing well right now. We are doing the things I'm retiring. I'm retiring twice. That the FIRE community advocates, and I think that that's important. Like, There's a lot of overlap here, but I think that there's a lot of divergence that you've gotten very hot and bothered about. And for me, I fell off on step number two, and it was because of a, a, a scary word that I like to call the C word. That's called cancer. What happens- if you're sitting at your job for 30 years, saving up, I mean, this is, this is the classic reason why we started this podcast. 
was we saw this, right? It was like, okay, I could sit at my desk for 30 years. If I'm really smart, I could sit at my desk for 15 years and get like a good tech job or something like that. But then what happens if old C walks through the back door? All of a sudden, your whole plan is foiled, right? Oh, I had this great plan. I was just going to work hard at my desk for 15 years. No, start having fun tomorrow. Start living the life that you want to live 15 years from now today. To be able to do that, a lot of times you have to radically reduce your spending, tighten the belt, do all those things. So we did all that in the beginning. I think part of the reason that we are mad about the FIRE community is because they're so popular. And they're getting all the attention. Well, they get TV shows. That's they for get, sure. They get TV shows. They get features in all these fancy magazines. Everybody's paying attention to them. But I feel like this is not the answer. I mean, it's cool. It's great. It's the fundamentals. It's the framework. It's the bread. You can't have a sandwich without the bread. But where's the meat? I think the meat's in step number four. And when your life's passion is to think about step number four, which is the crucial step, because by the way, you can do step four without doing step one, two, and three. You know, when I did that audio rant, I ended it with look, if you've retired early using this, what is essentially a sidewalk method, that's utterly remarkable. I've almost never hear that story. Never. So if I bump into somebody that's a young couple, they're in their 30s, 20s, they're hanging out in Europe for like a couple of weeks, I'm not thinking, oh, they built winning careers and saved every penny and didn't travel all that much. So now they travel all the, no, I'm automatically assuming they own a small business because that's probably what they do. I'll tell you what happens uh, Wednesday morning on a golf course. You know, who's out there golfing you, me and small business owners. And I'll tell you who it's not. It's not people who did step one, two, and three, right? <laughs> that's the bottom line. It's people who did step number four. All right, that's it, boss man. What a fantastic return to the ranchette. Fantastic to be here with you on the podcast. We'll be back, as always, next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.